Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. Thanks so much for joining. Um, lots happening. We're back with the, the Champions League. Manchester City reasserting their authority over the competition already. Um, but what about Harry Kane? Um, what, what's happening with Bayern Munich? There's, you know, an interesting one that sort of kind of struck me, really. David, um, David Moyes and Roy Hodgson in the firing line this week. Dan Ashworth being targeted by Manchester United. What do we know about that? And we'll look forward to um, all of the Premier League action um, coming back this weekend as well, really. Um, but shall we start with Manchester United and Dan Ashworth? Um, Je- Jeremy, you've written it um, about it um, today, haven't you? And uh, obviously, I think this has been well telegraphed, isn't it, really, as something that's been in the offing for a while and uh, Man United keen, obviously, to to get their restructure right. But wow, what a, you know, what a statement that is for Man United. Kind of their new chief executive from Man City, their new kind of sporting director from Newcastle United. Ratcliffe's made made a big impression so far. I mean, he got his he got his stake in United ratified um, a couple of days ago, and within you know within a matter of hours, Dan Ashworth's name appeared. Um, on the radar. I know United tried to get Ashworth a few years ago. Edward Wood tried to bring him in um, when he was at Brighton and um, he didn't get the vote from the board of directors to get it over the line. The Glazers didn't want a sporting director. So he has been on United's radar for quite a while. He's obviously big mates with Brailsford. I think um, uh, Ashworth um, last year, 2022, I invited Brailsford to give a talk to Newcastle um, during a pre-season tour abroad. So they're obviously close and I would have thought Brails has had a big hand in pursuing him. Um, look, we all, we've all dealt with Ashworth. We know he's a good, a great executive. He's built up a reputation, one of the best operators in the game. He would be a huge boost for United. It's what they need. Um, can they get him from Newcastle? He's only been at Newcastle since 2022. So I doubt they'll want to lose him. There'll be compensation to be haggled over. But Ratcliffe's got, you know, bottomless pit of money. So um, I doubt that'll be an issue. They'll just pay whatever they have to pay to get him. Is it a statement, Danny? A, a, a Man United, you know, as much as the two bold appointments, is it a statement that makes you go, wow, you know, Old, old Trafford is, they're trying to sort of put a stake back in the ground? Um, it doesn't really make that much of a statement to me, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I mean, listen, you know, they're making. Let's get one thing straight. In this day and age, you know, we big up these people. Um, but let's get one thing straight. Men in suits in the boardroom don't win your titles. Yeah, listen, it, it, they can be part of it. They get the team the right players, though. I've got to say, I, I really fundamentally disagree with you there. I disagree with you, pal. But basically, I think you're sounding like someone who goes, oh, XG, what's that about? Oh, what's this about? What's that stat about? You're sounding, mate, you're not sound. You are 
the cut and thruster. You are the Mr. Style. When we go on trips and stuff, you're the guy in the bell staff gear. You're the guy who's sort of leading the charge. And Jim Ratcliffe owns that. You're the, da- you're, the, you're the dapper guy. Frankly, you are sounding like an old fuddy-duddy, old-fashioned, and I make the case for the guys in the suits are making the big decisions, are making the big calls that set the tone, that buy the right players, that get the right recruitment, that you know, basically lay the foundations for success. And I think you're being, how can I put this without being insulting here, horribly naive. Let, let me, I'll tell you what then, John, and you think these are the guys who do it. So how often did you, I mean, everyone said it was a statement appointment. How often did you write about Omar Barada before he signed for, or before he agreed to, to go to Manchester United? All of a sudden, I'm reading all this stuff about how he's been like, you know, one of the powers behind the throne. Absolute nonsense. There's, there's one person, 99% responsible for Manchester City's success, and that's Pep Guardiola. There's been one person, 99% responsible for Liverpool's success, and that's Jurgen Klopp. Now they pay lip service; they're very good. They will, they will occasionally give, Pep will occasionally give Tixi Begeristan and Ferran Soriano a sort of public pat on the on the head, saying, "Oh, look, look what he's brought me. He brought me um, um, Michela, you know, um, um, Akanji, and he brought me Rodri, or whatever." And Pep will pay, you know, lip service to. Obviously gone now, but someone like Michael Edwards. Liverpool are changing their sporting director again. You know, they come and they go. They okay, they're part of modern football, but don't tell me that these are the guys who win people titles. They're not. The people that will win Manchester United a title will be Eric Ten Hag if he's good enough, and the guys with boots on the feet. Let, let, let's get that, that. And do you think that Pep Guardiola, as much as he says, "Oh, look what the, the, these players they brought me." Listen, they don't come without Pep's consent. They do not come without Pep's consent. So, so, so let's, first of all, the cult that you boys clearly obviously want to buy into of like, you know, Dan, listen, Dan Ashworth, again, as Jeremy says, you know, when, when did we have the first sort of, I was trying to think when we had our first sort of um, um, chat with, with Dan Ashworth. It was sort of made to tournament. It was in Russia. You know, and, and then, of course, he's doing a different job. He's doing, he was responsible for England's so-called DNA, and another sort of concept that, that, that you boys would probably buy into. But you see, this is, it, it, it is, if, if you're saying, is he trying to revamp the whole football operation? Again, I mean, even that winds me up. You know, the, the football operation, it's when it's when the eleven players go out on the pitch, and you know, and when they train on the training ground. Let's get that right. So, but is it? Well, listen, things need to change, and then I'm going to go and try and get him and him. Yes, it's a statement as much as it's saying that Ratcliffe believes the current setup isn't fit for purpose, so he's bringing in new people. Let's see how they do. But again, the person he needs to get right is the manager. And the other people he needs to get right are the players who who, who go out onto the pitch um, every every Saturday, every week, every midweek. So I see where, where you're coming from in the sense that, that yes, it makes some sort of statement, but will it be you know crucial? Well, well let's wait and see. I also think it's interesting that, that behind the the sort of new music coming out of Newcastle to me seems to be that. You know, oh well, how are they getting in from there? Well, I'm not sure. Are they going to put up much of a fight, or are they just 
saying, well, like, you know, we're going to try and get the best out of it. And why is Dan Ashworth going? Is he getting as much influence at Newcastle as people think? Secondly, you know, Newcastle lost a lot of football matches this season. So I, I, I have, res- well, not reservations, but I just don't think it is as hugely significant as you people who put a lot of value in in these roles seem to think. Tony, let me ask you a question. Would Pep Guardiola have gone to manage Man City if Tixi Bergerstein and Fran Serrano weren't there? It depends who, who who was there instead. Well, no, he only went there because of those two, don't we? Nothing to do with the money, nothing to... Well, yes, yeah, he said it, and which backs up exactly what I just said. It backs up exactly what I just said. He he went. He goes there, right? He he's paid good lip service. Him, I understand that. And he gets something well. He's worked well with him before. But life would go on if they didn't were there. Let me ask you this question: Is Pep Guardiola going to leave because Omar Barad has gone to Manchester United? No. What read what he said that he's good operator. He's gone, but City will carry on. The players will carry on. Kevin De Bruyne will still be Kevin De Bruyne. And that's the whole point. You know, it's more important, for example, from Newcastle's point of view, that they keep hold of Bruno Guimaraes than they do keep hold of Dan Ashworth. And, and it's as simple as that. Yeah, yes, of course, it's, and it looks good from a PR point of view. It looks good that Ratcliffe is coming in and saying, right, bang, I need a new, you know, director of football, I need a new, you know, exec, I need a new. And, and, and that looks good. It looks good because you're coming in and it's not, the same because because what's gone before hasn't worked, so he's changing it. I get that, but I wouldn't. If I was a United fan, I wouldn't be thinking, "My way, that's it. We're, we're going to be fantastic here." Because Dan Ashworth, who did okay at Brighton and, and you know was sort of part of the FA type setup, and Newcastle done okay is coming in. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't see this from if they were if they were to go out and sign Kylian Mbappe, then I might think that. I think there's a lot of talk within football about the comings and goings at Liverpool behind the scenes. And basically, there's been so many changes in kind of structure behind the scenes. Is that having an impact? I mean, last summer, you'd say definitely not because the recruitment's been pretty sharp, right? And basically, they've gone again and probably a year ahead of schedule. But, you know, I do think there's, I, I do think it, it must have been unsettling because they've lost various decent, you know, fantastic sporting directors of, of, of a great, mould I'll go against the grain then also to put up to say that and I know this might be an unpopular view I actually think that Eric Ten Hag has done a really really good job in the circumstances when you consider the absolute sometimes there's a shambles behind the scenes in fighting in the boardroom um, and I just think last year to, to, to win a cup and to get them in the Champions League okay this year hasn't been as good but I think the, the, the point is, for me, it, to appoint a new chief executive and a new sporting director at United, you're giving him a proper chance to succeed and long-term structure. You look at, you look at for, for example, you know, David Moyes, who's struggling at, um, uh, at West Ham, and people sort of say, well, hang on a minute, what about the recruitment? Who's to blame there? Look at Chelsea. Look at the way we're turning on Todd Bowley and the structure behind the scenes at Chelsea. I mean, it's just ridiculous. How can you say it doesn't have a say? And then also, I think Arsenal. Arsenal, you know, when when David Dean was sacked, basically, 
Arsene Wenger nearly walked out in the club. That was his importance. And they couldn't get the structure right again until the latest incumbent. And therefore, sure, sure enough, they'd sort of kind of 10, 15 years of absolute wasteland. You signed Rocket Science, John. You signed the best players. You know, you, you signed Declan Rice. But who do you get to do it? Who do you get to do it? You get the recruitment. You get everything aligned. Honestly, I do, do feel your. I don't want to sound like a dinosaur, but in the old days they were called scouts. They were called scouts, and then they go to they, they, they go to in the end the manager. I you know needs and, and you can't tell me that Pep Guardiola for all he says about how great six years I'm sure they are that he doesn't have the final say. Yeah, for sure he must do. Well, 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 exactly. So, so, so that's that's you know that's the bottom line. He's the most important person there. Man United have failed in in general. They've failed for ten years now. They've not won the title, not been close to winning the Champions League. But they have actually had some good players. Why why do you, why do you think they've not won anything? They've won one, they've won one trophy, two trophies in ten years. Because the coaches haven't been good enough. The managers haven't been good enough. And who appoints the manager? Well, the chief exec. There you go then. But then, how do we get to a Man United situation whereby you've got you've got David De Gea? able to run out his contract, run down his contract, and eventually just walks out for nothing. And then basically, then then they sign a goalkeeper, Anana, who's having good games, by the way, you know, so it, it, it'll be, when we stop talking about him, we have stopped talking about him in recent weeks, that'll be the best sign yet of when he comes good. And I think he might yet be a very good signing, but let's see. But e- either way, the point is that David De Gea, how has it come to pass that a goalkeeper considered not so long back the best goalkeeper in the world was allowed to walk out on a free. Any sporting director worth his salt, and it's not the manager, it's not on the manager, cannot allow that to happen. They have to sell either with two years left, one year left, whatever it might be, you cannot allow that to happen. It's just bad management. It's bad structure. You, you know, Kylian Mbappe can walk away on a free at the end of this season. Again. Again, that has to come down to, to to structure. You cannot, with Mbappe, you cannot enter the last two years. You cannot. All, all I'm saying is that this, this, this cult of the sporting director, director of football, chief executive, it, it, it's just gone ridiculous. Man City, they've got a manager with nothing behind them. Does, does that mean then that they're going to um, they're going to win the uh, Champions League again, Jezza, Do you think you can't look anywhere else, can you? Really, I know but the, the the breeze past Copenhagen in the week three one, eleven games on the spin of one now in all comps. I mean, it's like deja vu. We do this every we, we all we talk about it every week almost. It's like it's the relentless at this season. Um, and no one's really, really mentioned it much yet, but they can actually win another treble. And, you know, would you be that surprised if they did it again? I wouldn't be that surprised. It would be an astonishing feat to do it back-to-back. But, I mean, who's going to stop them in the Champions League? Maybe Real Madrid might have a, a shout, maybe. But I just think they'll win the Champions League again this year. I'd be shocked if they don't. I spent a romantic night, Valentine's night, watching... Um... Uh, watching Bayern Munich v uh, or Lazio v Bayern Munich on my iPad actually, uh, <laughs> and um, <coughs> excuse me. Well, we've got well, we had something on the telly, um, but anyway, um, from that, I have to say I can't see the Harry Kane fairy tale working out in Europe, Dunny. Can you? 
No, no, they they didn't play well last night, and obviously they didn't play well at the weekend. And when I've seen them live this season, um, in the games against Manchester United, they've looked good in parts of the game, but they've looked very vulnerable as well. They were vulnerable against United that first game at the Allianz. Um, I think we finished four three, was it in the end? Um, obviously flattered United, but but they did look like scoring quite frequently against Bayern. So that's going to be their issue. No, I, I think they're quite unbalanced. I don't think Bayern. I think, I think, I think. I mean, Jez is absolutely right. I, I mean, I, you cannot overlook the claims of Real Madrid. I mean, they look a serious, serious football team. You know, if anything, I would, I would, I would have them as maybe um, slight favourites ahead of Manchester City. Um, I, I just think I can't see, I can't see much wrong with Real Madrid at all. Um, they obviously steamrolled Girona at the weekend. They're gonna, you would think, win La Liga. They're strong all over the pitch. They've got great experience, great manager. Uh, and, and if anything, I don't think City are are operating as even under one eleven on the spin as powerfully as they did last season. So I, I just think it would be Real Madrid for me. I have to say also, also. And, and, and I'm not just saying this because you're on here, but I mean you shouldn't overlook. It, it, I, I would say two threats to two main threats could be Real Madrid and could be Arsenal. I mean Arsenal, you know, I mean, Arsenal have shown in a one-off game against City, head to head, that they can compete. They're in great form, absolutely flying. Um, I, 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 I honestly think that their chances are being underplayed. I think as a neutral, as a neutral, you'd like to see City play Real Madrid in the final because we've been to some absolute classic encounters between those two in the last few seasons. They've had some absolute bumdinger games, and I think they're the two best teams. They've got all the best players. It'd be, that would be quite a showdown at Wembley. That would. All I'm saying is that I don't think it's as big a leap of imagination as you might first think to suggest that Arsenal are serious contenders, based on the fact. They're playing well based on the fact that, you know, they've got a lot of members of the team in form and based on the fact they're head-to-head with City, you know, they can compete. And they're showing that in in the Premier League. You know, their proximity to City within the Premier League and obviously, you know, the results early this season, surely that that shows they they can compete, no? Yeah, 2019 Tottenham Tottenham knocked out City, didn't they, on the way to the... uh... No, I, I I get that. I get. I do. I do see that. Look, Inter Milan got to the final last year. Who'd have thought Inter Milan would have got to the final last year? Yeah, and well, I agree with Jeremy on it'd be you know Man City Real Madrid would be a, a, a good spectacle at Wembley. It would, in a way, be a little bit, you know, I wouldn't say same old, same old. You know, but, but at some stage, you know, I think for example, this this first week of the Champions League knockout stages has been fairly dull. Um, and it, you know, there's, there's, maybe next year's format will produce something different, but you doubt it. In, in, interesting take on that. I, I must say, I do really fancy City. I just think City is the best team in Europe, in the world, basically. I love watching City. I think they're. Absolutely phenomenal. They're the benchmark, really. But um, but Jude Bellingham, I have to say, Rodri's a good player, isn't he? Oh, that Rodri, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I tell you, who's been their best player so far, Phil Foden. 
He's been sensational this season. He's a shoe in the England team for the Euros as if he's fit. Where do you where do you put him? I put him on the on 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 the left. You could play him anywhere along the front three, couldn't you? But you know, is that where he wants to be? You know, is that where, where you get the best out of him? No, no. Yeah, again, we could go on all day about this, can we? It just depends if Gareth ever decides to deviate from his conservative approach and not play um, what he would call the sort of double pivot or two holding midfielders or whatever. You know, if he separates, if he just plays Declan Rice rather than Rice and. I mean, he surely can't play Calvin Phillips now, can he? Surely. But you never know. If he goes away from the Rice, Calvin Phillips, or Rice, Jordan Henderson axis, then then you, you might be able to get Phil Foden in the position that he, he wants to play in, clearly. But I've said that. It's ironic. Foden, like, for the last few weeks, I've been saying, like, uh, he loves playing centering and whatever. And then we were, um, were you at the game, Jez, against Everton on Saturday. And he played him on the right, you know. And um, but then when he moved centrally, he had more of an impact. I mean, it, it would cause uproar at the moment if he couldn't get Foden into that team. But if if, if I think left of that front three, I'm not sure it's a great position for him. Yeah, it brings me back to the point, doesn't it? Who you know, Saka surely is shooing for the right hand side for England, but no one is nailed down for the left hand side for for England. Well, it would be Rashford, wouldn't it, if he was playing? If he was playing this, how we know he can play, it would be Rashford probably. But Rashford, if he pulls his finger out, simple as that. You know, I mean, none of he's playing well, just actually pulls his finger out. If he actually, if he actually puts a bit more in than, than he's doing. But interestingly, with Rashford, I'm not sure. Does Southgate really trust him? Well, it was he was at Villa Park, wasn't he, on on Sunday watching him? But it's interesting. I, I did I did a thing on Rashford the week, and, and as part of it, I was looking into his you know his England caps, of which he has about. Top of my head, about 58, 59. But you know what? More than half of them, way more, more than half of them, have come from the bench. And bear in mind, Rashford has been now to 16, 18, four. He's been to four major tournaments with England. And how many games has he started in those finals? One. He's come on. Um, he started. No, no, no. More than one, two or th- yeah, three. I think you might be right. Three. He started the dead rubber, if you remember, against um, Belgium. Did he start against Sweden in the quarterfinal? No, 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 no. He started the dead rubber against Belgium. He started against when he scored two against Wales. And then, of course, he didn't play him in the quarterfinal. If you remember, he, did, he then didn't play. He didn't start. He came on as sub, a very, very late sub, in the quarterfinal against France. I think it is three. I think two of those games, I think, were, you know, when England already qualified, for example, against Belgium in the last game of the World Cup in, in Russia. What I'm trying to say is he, he seems to prefer him more as an impact sub. Is a long-winded way of doing that. So I'm not sure he... But I'd like to see him there on the left. Crossy, do you think there's a trust issue between Southgate and Rashford? Because he's pulled out of a couple of squads, hasn't he? And, you know, there has appeared to be tension there between those two. Yeah, it was interesting. Obviously, did the draw in um, Paris last week. And um, I think when you see Gareth Southgate up close and personal and kind of get into him about players, it's so... Uh, you can really read a sort of a temperature that doesn't necessarily always re you know come across in 
in black and white. And I do feel as if, you know, he had something to say about Rashford and, um, you know, to put that into context, you know, he was sort of saying just how pleased he was to see Henderson. He really felt he meant it um, uh, back in European football. But beyond that, Kobe Minor, you know, spoke to him about Kobe Minor. who's just basically glowing about the player over and above and basically saying what a good player he was, how, you know, he wouldn't necessarily see him in that position long term. Yes, he wanted to get him in as quickly as possible. And you really felt there was a desire, obviously, which, you know, we, we then wrote, you know, Thursday for Friday and sort of appeared Friday's papers about, you know, getting him in quick and, you know, how much of a future he had with England. Um, but then within that, you you, you then felt he, he was... He said the right things about Rashford, but he was saying also about how, and listen, and you, you, you know, I went along the lines about Gareth Southgate's my, my news story talking about his future, whereas a couple of others went on Rashford basically saying, look, we're watching him on and off the pitch, you know, and he made it absolutely clear that basically he's got one more squad to choose before the Euros. And therefore, that's kind of, you know, he's really shutting it down in terms of new entries, if you like, because he's got one more squad. You know, that's that's Brazil and that's Belgium. Obviously, he's going to pick the squad. You know, he's got two friendlies before the Euros, before before those before those friendlies and for the Euros to be part of the Euro squad. So what he's effectively saying, I've got one more squad to deliberate over before I have to nail it down for the Euros. And basically, we are going to be watching... It is going to be business time over the next few weeks. Let's see what happens. And you do feel as if, yeah, he's really going to be thinking about it. I can't believe that Rashford won't be in the Euro squad, where I think that Rashford at the moment is, you know, is, is really in danger, is from the starting eleven. I think that's a very, very clear issue. I'd be ever so surprised at this stage if we do see someone come from left field, whether that's Curtis Jones, whether that's Kobe Minu, basically. They I think 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 they've both got long term futures, but I just think for the Euros, do they get in before the Euros? That's the point. And I think therefore he's fairly settled on his squad. And therefore I think that Rashford, for example, you know, is is a beneficiary of that. But then, you know, does where does Phillips stand on that? You can't justify Phillips at the moment if he's, if he's not even playing. So maybe, maybe there's an opening, but I just don't see it, guys, amongst the sort of the forwards, if that makes sense. So Rashford is kind of fortunate from that point of view. But, you know, Rashford's, Rashford's performances are so up and down. They're so either brilliant as, as he was at Wolves proving a point or he's so ordinary and flat and not fancying it. His body language stinks. And his body language, for me, says so much about performance. You can tell, I think, you, you guys see him a lot as well. And it basically, you can tell when Rashford's in the mood, can't you? But just the way he carries his shoulders, you know? It's just, it's just so obvious. And I just... I, I just feel like saying you are so talented, you are so talented. But then, basically, why? Because I think if, if we're seeing it from the stands, what is it saying to a teammate? Oh, Marcus isn't in the mood today. It's just how can that be? You know, it looks like his body. You, a lot of people look watch Rashford and his body language and his work rate are not 
what there should be. He looks to me like a player who's decided he's going to leave Man United in the summer and he's just going through the motions between now and then. I might be wrong, but that's what I, I get that impression. Yeah, I just I just feel, you, you know, I, I, I feel we're all sort of, in a way, guilty of indulging a player who's who's become a national hero. And we, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't necessarily defend him because we think he's, a, he's an amazing guy who, and rightly so, I think, you know, I think in years to come, we'll look back and say, Sir Marcus Rashford, I mean, it's just, he's, he's made a difference as big as anyone that I can remember in recent years, you know, in football terms. But I just think at some stage we, we've, we've lost, you know, it really annoys me to see people, you know, defending just because basically so don't always know the facts. Hang on. The facts for Man United are on the list where I will agree with Dunning. But basically, the facts for Man United fans, don't insult them, don't patronise them, are 90 minutes on the grass, you know? And so basically, if you're not you're not ready and you're not up for that, for Man United on the Saturday, how can you justify Gareth Southgate to be able to trust him to deliver for England the following midweek and then into the Euros? You just, answer is you just can't. We all know what he's about. He's a fabulous, fabulous player who's who's an amazing threat from, from the front. He's brilliant. He's clearly, a, you know, when he's in the mood, he's a very, very good squad member as well. And I just think, oh, God, Marcus. You think we could be guilty of expecting too much from him? You think we may have built him up too much? Maybe he's not as good as we think he is. I'm not sure, Jezza, because I think I've seen him play brilliant games where he has destroyed opponents. So I think that, that that is within his locker. Do do we expect too much of him? Because I'm, you know, it's so naive, isn't it, to think then that basically he's going to destroy that wide player is going to destroy the fullback week in week out. You just can't do, hit that level every 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 week. You can't hit that level, you know, for you know each of the ninety minutes that we watch him play. But if you can turn on that bit of magic and get past him, basically, you know, three four times in a game which Rashford undoubtedly can. And he, he's got the world at his feet. And I just feel that we we just don't see that enough from Rashford on a couple of levels, on, on sheer performance, but also a willingness to do that, a, you know, a desire to do that. So I think that's the problem. And, it, you know, if Rashford doesn't fulfil his full potential, then there's only one person really to blame, and that's Marcus Rashford, I think, really, to be honest. Because it, it, there's no, honestly, it annoys me when people sort of kind of say, "Oh, kind of, you know, we don't understand him." I think I think we've given him, I think we've given him more, uh, you, you know, understanding and freedom than any other player that I can possibly think of. Anyway, rant over, guys, because we should look at a couple of under-fire managers, David Moyes and Roy Hodgson. I think Roy Hodgson, his time might be up, mightn't it? Again, and and, and I feel sorry for, for, for Roy. Um, I thought they played well for him on, on, on Monday night at, at, Crystal, at Crystal Palace. I was there and basically I thought the players dug in for him and I thought that was a performance for the manager. But, you know, with missing lots and lots of players, you're going to get punished at some point in that game. And sure enough, they did. But, well, I mean, 
And Andy, where, where do you see with Roy, dear old Roy? You know, it's a shame, isn't it, that it's ended like this? Because you know, if there were second manager, they might be bringing him in again. Yeah, but listen, it was going to end one way or the other. It's it's it would have ended um, at the end of May, at the end of this season. He was going anyway. I mean, the only reason they should replace him now is that they've got someone who they think not only is going to have an improvement this season, but have an improvement going forward in the long term. Um, I don't feel sorry for Roy in the sense that, you know, I mean, what? It's not like it's going to be something on his CV that's going to, you know, come back to haunt him. He's, you know, presumably, he's not going to return to management, whether he leaves today, tomorrow, the weekend, weekend after, or the end of the season, is he? You know, it's just a question of whether Steve Parrish <clears throat> thinks that they need a lift between now and the end of the season, if he thinks that they are going to be under threat, if he thinks that, you know, Luton might make um, a concerted effort to stay up, you know, you can almost take the dread that the Sheffield and Burnley are going to go. So it's one place. Obviously, Forrest and Everton are waiting to hear uh, the results of the um, the PSR charges. Um, and if Parrish thinks they need a lift, then, then maybe they do. I agree with you. I've slightly changed. I thought when I saw Palace basically... Um, just jack it in in the in the FA Cup game at um, at Everton the replay when Roy took off Eze and two other Tarek Mitchell um, and I can't remember the third but certainly three of their frontline players with half an hour to go I just thought well that's that's almost a sackable offence really um, resting them for to get beat 5-0 by Arsenal on the Saturday I thought it's almost a sackable offence but I have to say I'm with you I watched that game on Monday night and I thought not much more he could have done, really. You know, and I thought the players did play for him. And I think if they reproduce that level of performance under Roy going forward for the rest of the season, they'll be fine. But, but would I be surprised if Paris now thinks, well, we, we might need a lift? Well, yeah, but I've slightly changed. And I think I think that the, the, the best thing to do would be to keep him there now and then move on to the end of the season. And you're just, then just having that small gamble on Palace staying up, but I think they will. Yeah, David Moyes, Jezza. I mean, if you do six nil at home, I, I, I think that makes a lot of owners and, 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 and you know chairs very, very edgy. I don't think there's a particular desire to change it mid-season, but when you've got thousands of fans departing the stadium, West Ham feels like a, a bit of a debate at the moment. You know, over style of play. You know, is he the man to take it forward? And then basically people chuck into the mix about, you know, the, the European trophy in Prague, you know, glorious memories of that. I don't know. Where, where, where is it with David Moyes? Because it feels, feels it feels to me that if you replace David Moyes, you bring in a manager who I think will struggle to to basically get them to eighth. And and basically, if he does get them to eighth, then as, as West Ham are now under David Moyes, then they'll have done really well and be judged really positively. Yeah, look, I know you did a piece on him, didn't you, at the start of the week, which summed it all up really well. But the contract, there's a contract apparently on the table. He's not signed, whether it's been withdrawn, who knows. The feeling is he'll leave in the summer. And you know what? If he gets West Ham in the top 10 this season and leaves in the summer, I think he'll have been really harshly trapped because I think he's done a great job for West Ham. And you're right. I mean, you know, where are they in the league? What Are they seventh? What, what, where are they? Eighth? I mean, you've got to say, I think he's got what he can get out of that squad. They won a trophy last year, you know, for God knows how many years they've not won anything. That in itself is an amazing achievement. And I think he's done a great job. And 
but they make look about look. I mean, look, they were terrible at the weekend. I mean, Arsenal could have got ten goals. Me and Dunny were sat at the press room in Villa Park going, "This could be ten, this." And they did well to keep it to six. And, and listen, no one wants to get beaten six nil, and it's an embarrassing number. Arsenal are a really good team. So you know, if it had been six nil to say Everton or Brighton, then that's different. But probably Dunny. Um, You've got to look at it and think Moyes has probably taken that team as far as he can take it because they're not going to get in the top four. He's won a trophy. You know, I think he, he probably thinks, have, have, I, have I rung the maximum out of this team? And he, the answer is yes. So I think he'll walk out, he'll walk away in the summer and, you know, he'll get another job somewhere else. It's, it's a broader picture, isn't it? I mean, this idea... Yes, if you look at what he's done, what he's won there now, where he's taken him. If we talk league position, a trophy won, um, then clearly it would be harsh to get rid of him. But we're not West Ham season ticket holders who pay good money to watch them week in, week out, and the way they play. And I think a lot of fans must get really irate with pundits, commentators, journalists who say, well, look where he's taking you to. He's seen to dizzy heights of, you know, six, seven, eight, or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. They may think that, but then in this day and age, there's also a way, there's a, there's a way to lose as well, isn't it? Now, someone, for example, like Bielsa was at Leeds, you know, now, now he, he could lose and get them relegated, but they will still love him because of the way they played. And we, it, it's too easy to almost sneer a fan's who come on and say, oh, football is terrible to watch and whatever. And we say, oh, be careful what you wish for because you're finishing six and you've won the Europa Conference League. But we're not them. We're not paying our, our season ticket, our money, going trekking to the London Stadium, having that experience to watch dull football. So I, I have every sympathy with any fan who thinks, you know what, I don't care if a manager has taken us to X position or done this or done that or is getting, in the end, if he's not entertaining me, then in, in this day and age. As a supporter of a football club, what is the, the one thing you want to see your team do is win something, isn't it? That's what we go to watch football for, season in, season out, to watch your team win a trophy, surely. Yeah, but, yeah, but the, the, doesn't there come a time now as well when you want to go to see your team have the football, for example? If they play Arsenal, they're not going to have much of the ball, are they? That's just a fact. They generally don't have the majority of the ball. I mean, that is the way they play. And if you're against that, you know, which I would be as a fan, you know, it's like teams that go down. And they say, oh, it's terrible. But they, they go down, having had 20% of possession in most games and scoring no goals, conceding umpteen and not winning any games. They go down, like Burnley do, or like Leicester have done this season, for example, and they win loads of games, have loads of the ball, score loads of goals, and it's great fun. Can't tell me Leicester City fans aren't absolutely buzzing at the moment. I'm inclined to agree, I must say. There's a way. I'm afraid we've moved on. It's it, 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 it's He's changed position. It's idealistic. I, I think that working out a fan and the fans thinking is ridiculous, to to put it mildly. I've got a member of my, my family, extended family, basically, who's a West Ham fan, hasn't missed games, a game for God knows how many, you know, and it's his life, basically. And, you know, I remember going to something last year before Prague, and obviously it was sort of, kind of I don't know, February, March, was it? And basically he was saying, oh, I, I, you know, we win a European trophy, I, I'll swap that and we'll go down. You know, basically, I don't mind, you know, trade off one against the other. But does he 
Does he mean that? Of course he doesn't. But he wants to win the European trophy and he wants to and he'll swap the European trophy for anything. But on the flip side, right, he doesn't go to, to you know, doesn't pay thousands and thousands of pounds to go to the London Stadium, a stadium probably didn't want to go to in the first place, to see his team get, you know, whooped 4 0. By, you know, by half time, and no wonder the sort of the fans were walking out. And then to hear people, you know, who've never been a fan in their lives lecturing about leaving, you know, before the end. I mean, I, I have to say, I've been, I think I've probably been guilty at the it, it, sort of at point saying, that why would you leave sort of 10 minutes before the end? I've never got that 10 minutes before the end. It should be the highlight of your week. But then basically, I think there's a difference between you know, your team being 2-0 up or whatever with 10 minutes left, dashing for the tube, and then basically also then, you know, sort of leaving at half-time. It makes no sense. But that is to completely, you know, listen, we've all done, what are the most stupid things you've done to go and see a football match as a, as a fan? I remember a few things like, you know, knowing that basically I wouldn't be able to get home after the football special arrived back in London. Sleeping in Manchester on Manchester Piccadilly um, on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, basically, so I could go and see a game at Oldham on the Sunday lunchtime. I mean, it's just so don't don't try and tell fans that basically how they should behave and how they should, you know, sort of react. That there are that you know, but I think the one thing we can can you know pass comment on is is an appreciation of the job that David Moyes has done. And then basically, I, I think there's two different things. And basically, you know, that's why I think that fans deserve respect and also deserve a voice to be heard. But I don't, I, I think the three of us, I'm right in saying, would never patronise fans in that way. And annoys me when I hear people try and do the same, you know. They're entitled to their view, basically. And we're entitled to our view. Whatever reason, Crossy, the bottom line is that Moise's face just doesn't fit with the, the majority of West Ham supporters, does it? You know, he'd have to win countless things to, to win them over, and that's never going to happen. So, you know, and it's he must be sad about that, Moyes, because, like we said, he's, he's, he's a great bloke. We all know him pretty well, and he's done a fantastic job, but he must feel like he's just banging his head against a wall. Right, we've had enough banging against uh, uh, heads against walls, so we'll, we'll, we'll let you go. Nice to see you guys. See you same time, same place next week. Hold up. 